Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest, and I've just finished a four-part mini-series with Greg Larson on how to plan, write, edit, and publish your book. So this is a bonus or companion episode on a, an important part of publishing your book is after you publish it, you have to market it. What good is a book that no one reads, right? So this is a special episode where I've taken three different interviews and taken the best parts of those interviews about marketing and combined them. The first is a brand new interview with the author Mark Paul, who I've had on previously. Mark self-published his book called The Greatest Gambling Story Ever Told, and at this date he sold more than 40,000 copies, which is amazing. If you sell more than 4,000 copies, you're in the top 2% of books sold in one calendar year. To sell 40,000 is in the 99.9999 percentile. It's an astounding number of books, especially self-publishing, without the distrib distribution and marketing muscle of a traditional publishing house. So Mark knows his stuff. In the first interview, which leads off this, this episode with Mark, we talk two things. We talk genre choice at the beginning before you even start planning your book thinking about genre choice and using that great tool called Publisher Rocket, which is available on kindlepreneur.com. I'll link to that in the show notes. And then we talk about Amazon ads and kind of the back end after you've published how to market your book. After that is the first interview I did with Mark several months ago, and that was episode 34. I've taken the best parts of that episode that apply just to marketing and chopped that up and included that. And then the third part of the episode is the very first interview I did with Greg Larson, also several months ago. And I've taken the best parts of that interview that apply solely to marketing and chopped that up. So you're getting a brand new interview with Mark Paul, the excerpts of the best bits of marketing advice from Mark Paul from a previous interview, and the best marketing advice from Greg Larson from a previous interview. So this should be a helpful introduction to book marketing. If you enjoy this episode, please recommend it to others. Please like the podcast on the platform of your choice and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at benbo.substack.com, B-E-N-B-O.substack.com. Benbo is my family nickname, so benbo.substack.com. I put all of this content out here for free, so if you enjoy it and you find useful advice or information in it, please take a minute to like and subscribe. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Glad to be here again. You are the man when it comes to moving books. You sold over 40,000 books of your self-published, fantastic book, The Greatest Gambling Story Ever Told. Thank you. I, 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 love, I love marketing my book. I, I, I never stop. If you're around me, you're going to hear about my damn book, I guarantee it. So somebody comes to you, they have an idea, they want to write a book. How would you advise them to think about the process of marketing before they even start writing their book? The number one thing that I, that I learned, I didn't know one until after I'd published my book and started marketing my book is unfortunately, you're not going to sell many books unless you're in a genre that people buy a lot of books. It, you could write, you can sell a lot of books with an average book in a high demand demand genre as opposed to having a magnificent book in a genre that nobody 
cares about nobody buys books. But I mentioned to you that, you know, I wrote a book that at its premise is about a, a female filly trying to win the Kentucky Derby against the male Colts, something that only occurred twice in 150 years. And that's a great story, but there's not a lot of people out there looking to buy books in the horse racing. So I would have really probably not sold a lot of books, but I got lucky because my book had a big component to it is that the, the guys that bet on this Philly to win the Kentucky Derby made the bet at a little rinky dinky racetrack in Tijuana that they found out late was owned by the Mexican cartel. So now they were faced with this dilemma, which kind of a cool thing where could a Philly, a female beat the Colts in the Derby. And of course, now you've got women are interested. You've got women engaged sports fans, horse racing people, but now I have a genre of true crime and I'd probably have sold, you know, 10 books in true crime genre for every book I sold in horse racing, even though you could say my book is about the And you've mentioned that either on the first episode we did or off air that when your book broke into the top 10 on Amazon of true crime, then I think you saw a bump in sales. Is that correct? Absolutely. You, one thing I learned is you have, you have to always be afraid. Yeah. I lived in fear of going into the falling into the well. And once you get into the Amazon algorithm, well, of not selling books and not being something that they think their audience wants. I don't know how you ever crawl back out of the well. One thing that I did is I really, I really studied Amazon, um, AdWords. And I realized quickly in marketing that, that Amazon is magnificent in one way. And that normally when you run an ad, <clears throat> like if you were going to run a Google AdWords about your book, the problem is that most people, 99% of the people that are seeing it aren't there to buy a book. So you're, you're, you're up against it and you're wasting your money. The beauty of the Amazon AdWords for books is everybody who's searching on, uh, Amazon books for a book is a book buyer. So you don't have to convince them to buy a book. You only have to convince them to buy your book. So you already, you know, you've got a, you've got a a real buyer on your hands there. So now you need to get into that algorithm and it's success to get success. One thing that I did, I, I was not afraid, especially in the beginning to spend money on buying AdWords and having a budget for my book. And they always tell you, well, you know, if you're on Amazon, basically in your self published, you can get about 70 percent of every dollar of sales. So they say, as long as you're spending money and it's, you're not spending more than 70 cents per dollar received, you're at least breaking even, which was, you know, kind of like my immediate goal. But I actually thought about it after a while. I was saying, well, not really, I'm selling books, but I'm not making any money because I'm spending 70 cents every book that I sell. But then I, then I realized something, this might seem self-evident, but it wasn't, it dawned on me. I said, well, hold on. I'm getting 70 cents for every dollar I spend, but that's only for my Kindle books, for my eBooks. But for every eBook I was selling, no, I was shocked at this. 
for every ebook that I sold, I sold two paperbacks and I wasn't paying anything for my paperbacks. So although I was spending all this money to sell my ebooks, I wasn't realizing that I was selling twice as many of this on my, on my paperback book. So don't be afraid to spend money on your AdWords, especially out of the gate and especially obviously find a category or two that you can dominate, find a little niche category that you can be the number one author in. That'll give you that cool little Amazon orange banner that you're a number one author in. When you die on your gravestone, you can write that I was a number one author. It might've been in the category. Well, I was joking. It's gay dinosaurs. It's a very small category, but by God, I'm number one. Right. Right. Here lies John Smith, beloved father, son, and best-selling best author. They can never take away from you. And they conveniently leave off uh, the, the category. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So let's talk Amazon ads. Can you kind of break down for the listener how Amazon ads work? I think there's a bidding process. And yeah, the best thing that I found, and I don't give any money for this, or <laughs> what is it, Rocket? Uh, to Rocket. Fantastic. They're really cheap. It's like $35 a year or something to join. And when you go and publish your Rocket, they give you, you finally understand there's all of these categories. First of all, when you go on Amazon, there's, you get, they tell you, you get three categories, but you really don't. You really get 10 categories. All you have to do is email them and tell them the 10 categories you want your book in. So that's really, really important. So if you go and you study all these categories and you know what book, similar books to yours, what categories they're in, then I would try to pick like five of them that are big selling categories like true crime. And then I would try to pick a few of those that are really, really minuscule, little, small genres that perhaps you can be number one or at least top three in for that. Then you have to, in one thing about the, on that website is they'll actually tell you all of the keywords that those books are using in their ads. So you need to know all the ad words. And then what I did too, I created these lists and listings of any book that was like my book, any categories that words that were like my, my book. And also then I would actually advertise all the competing books and all the competing authors. And I would bid on all of those keywords as well. Like my, my biggest, my, my book and the best horse racing book ever written was Laura Hill, Hillenbrand's Sea Biscuit. And so I would have, I would bid on Laura Hillenbrand, her name, I would bid on Sea Biscuit, and I would want anybody who's looking for Sea Biscuit, I would hopefully have my book come up before Sea Biscuit because I was paying good money for it because I, I wanted to dominate the horse racing genre. And, and that advice is so key. And that's exactly the advice that you gave me before I published my book. And I followed it to a T. So you identify some categories that are big categories. And then you identify a couple categories that are super small and niche. Just to give the listener an example, funny example. So I downloaded on my phone the other day, Twitter and Facebook. So I go to the Apple app store and I search for, for Facebook. And the first thing that comes up is Facebook, right? So I download it. 
Then I search for Twitter. The first thing that comes up is Facebook, meaning Facebook mm -hmm. has yeah. bid yeah. on that ad space, yeah. right? So Twitter comes up second under their own search. So it's the same thing. Whatever book you're writing, you want to find, my friend Greg Larson calls it your pilot author, somebody that the author and the book is comparable to your, and then you can see like Mark is saying on Amazon ads, you can say, okay, Stephen King, when people search for Stephen King misery, my book comes up first. Now, something like that, a huge book, a huge author, you're going to have to bid really high. Yeah. When I dish, identify more niche authors, yeah. um, in niche books, because again, to your point, someone going on the Amazon bookstore is going to leave with a book. It's going to be someone else's book or it's going to be your book. Exactly. And you wouldn't want to bid on Stephen King because it'd be too expensive. It, and you don't want to bid on things that, that aren't related to your book because people aren't going to buy your book. So you have to make sure that if you wrote a book on basketball coaching, I'd be bidding on, you know, Phil Jackson and Showtime and, you know, Coach K and all that stuff. That's what I'd be bidding on, not Steve. 100%. And so just to break this down for the listener. So I wrote a book about the power of meditation and the impact that it had on coaching basketball. Obviously, Phil Jackson is a number one for that. And so when I did my Amazon categories, which Mark mentioned, uh, not categories, sorry, keywords. When I did my Amazon keywords for my book, one of the keywords I put in was Phil Jackson and basketball. And then that Phil Jackson has several books and I included the titles of all his books. So that means when it's a keyword, that means when someone searches for that keyword, your book is going to show up in that search. Now that's totally free. Then separate the Amazon ads that you bid on, I would bid on Phil Jackson. I would bid on more than a game, which is one of the title of one of his books, sacred hoops, another title, things like that. So there's keywords, which are free. There are categories, which we've talked about. So again, my book would fall under basketball, coaching, sports, things like that, memoir, travel writing. Those are free when you register your book and upload your manuscript to Amazon, and then you pay for the Amazon ads, but it's the same principle. The same principle applies across all these things. Yeah. So I would say that was the number one thing that I did was spend money. And then what's great is that if you start doing well, then as you have more revenue and more sale, you can spend more money and as you spend more money, you climb up these charts. And so I'm sorry, it just, it's a vicious capitalistic system, but you know, if you can either accept it or, or fail as your two choices. Yes. And so we've talked about the back, back end, right? After you've published your book, after you've done all of that work, but you mentioned at the top, the, something you should think about even before you begin writing, even before you begin outlining, which is genre choice. And again, publisher rocket is very helpful in that. Mark, can you talk about genre choice? And if you were advising someone who wants to write a book what they should think about when it comes to genre. Well, what you'll quickly realize is that there's, there's, I don't know, maybe, maybe 15 genres that are big, big sellers. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. The, the good thing is that if you can get into those genres, you could sell a hell of a lot of books. The bad thing is that the bigger the genre is, the better selling it is. Now you've got to compete with, you know, you know, all of the romance novels and all the things that are selling, but you need to be aware of it up front 
and realize that if you're writing a book that's in a genre that people don't sell books in, nobody is searching for your book and you could have a magnificent book. And, and it's, I still wouldn't tell you to write it. If it's a story that you want to tell in your heart, it's important to you and you write a great book. That's a goal onto itself. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But then don't be disappointed when it doesn't sell because nobody in the history of mankind has ever sold a lot of books in that genre. So, you know, the, like, but the good news is that these genres are diced up in a lot of different areas. I mentioned like true crime. I, I learned right away. I could not, even now there's actually one thing we, nobody really talks about is paperback versus ebook sales. And that's an interesting thing. As I said a moment ago that I sold, I sold twice as many paperbacks. I sold two paperbacks for every ebook that I sold, which surprised me, but that's kind of a standard thing in the industry. But I also learned that I cannot compete. I could not compete as a self-published author in, in hard copy crime segments, because I was just dealing with all of the all of the true crime books in paperback that are sold at the airports that are sold at Barnes and Noble that are sold by the big, the big publishers. I didn't have that behind me. And there's an area that I couldn't compete in, but I could sure as I'll compete in the ebook categories of that. So even now I have bookmarked on my computer. And I've been, my book has been out now for almost two and a half years. I've bookmarked like horse racing, Kindle horse racing books, bestsellers. And I'll click on, you know, a couple of times a week and see how my book's doing. I don't even bother to click, um, on any true crime category for hard copy or for paperback, because I know that I'm not going to do well in that area because I don't have the infrastructure, the physical distribution channel that the big publishers have. You're not going to compete there. Doesn't mean you're not going to sell paper book. I'm not telling you. I would absolutely tell you to do an ebook and definitely a paperback. And you, you can do a hardcover if you want to or not. It's not that important. But I definitely would tell you to do a paperback because you, you'll sell more paperbacks than you do ebooks. But just basically market your ebook because that's the only area that you can really, really, really be competitive in. And, you, and then realize too, when you check your sales, you can check your sales specifically. Oh, how am I doing in best-selling basketball books in eBooks? And how am I doing in best-selling basketball print books? And I guarantee you, Ben, you're probably getting your ass kicked in, in paperback basketball books because you you're not in the airport you don't have that distribution but you actually can compete in the ebook category mistake i made was so amazon now offers e paperback hardcover and i published in all three at the same time but the sales report is broken up into ebook and print meaning combination paperback and hardcover mm -hmm. so especially the first couple of weeks say coaching basketball I was number one in ebook, and then I was like number five in paperback and number 12 in hardcover. So my hardcover and paperback sales cannibalized each other. So one way I encourage 
authors to think about publishing. One of the few things that the traditional model has correct, I think, is you publish your hardcover first, hardcover and ebook together, then paperback later, because on Amazon, your paperback and hardcover sales are going to cannibalize each other. Mark, last thing I, for I you. I agree. I, I always no, go ahead. When you, when you have people with differing opinions, talk to wouldn't do that because if I'm taking the time out of the gate to sell books, you're always going to sell more books early than you are late. It, it, it's, I, 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 my wife has to put up with me all the time. Now I, I, I will come in and I will say to her, how are you doing? Just say, how are you doing? And I go, oh, I'm really depressed. My, my book isn't selling well anymore. And it's like, what do I expect? I expect two and a half years later, I'm going to sell just like I did in, in day one. You think, well, maybe you should, you, you have a best selling, you have a lot of great you know, reader comments. I have over 1700 reviews. Why wouldn't I sell more books now? And I think the reason is, is that people that are going to buy basketball books, you saturize after a few months, people that are going to read, you know, books about, you know, the cartel, like my book, horse racing, like my book, sports, like my book, after a while you run through your, your core audience, but if you're going to launch early, because for every paperback, for every ebook you're going to sell, you're going to sell more paperbacks. I'm not sure. I, I would probably do them both at the same time. The point is well taken. Yeah. Uh, no, I always love yeah. disagreement because yeah. then there's, there's learning there. So my take on this is, so right now, Amazon's always changing a little bit with ebooks, you take home 70% of the sales and with paperback and hardcover, you take home 60%. So for example, my paperback is priced at $7.99, my hardcover at, I think, $14.99. So obviously you make more money on the hardcover. So my thinking, but Mark, tell me if you disagree or you have a different approach or you would advise someone differently is publish next time, publish ebook and hardcover, because I'm going to generate more profit from the hardcover and more sales on launch week and launch month, publication week and publication month. Therefore, if people don't have the option for paperback, they're going to take home 70% of ebook sales or 60% of the more expensive hardcover. It would depend on how expensive your hardcover is because I was, my, 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 my ebook was $7.99. My paperback was $14.99 and my hardcover is $24.99. You're just not going to sell a lot of stuff at $24.99. So I'm not sure I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. You'd have to weigh sort of how many sales are you losing by not having paperback? Because like you, the vast majority of my sales have been in paper. Okay, Don't go ahead. Stay at the top with that algorithm. <laughs> you have to fight and kick and you at least got to get into that bloodstream somehow. It, it, at least, you know, again, in your little genre and your little niche, you have to be at the top of that or you just, you're not going to have, a, you're not going to get the rankings you want. Right. And we've talked about this and you mentioned this on the first episode we did. One of the best ways to stay on top of the algorithm, and this isn't something you or I have done, is to have a series. If you're dropping a new book every three months or six months of, you know, the, the, the virtuous cycle of that virtuous circle of that is your third book is going to generate sales for your second and first, your fourth book, so on and so forth. I couldn't agree. If you said to me, what have you learned in, you know, your five-year saga of writing a book and publishing it and marketing it? And you said, Mark, you have to feed your family by being an author. What would you do? First of all, I would 
be scared to death because it's do not do this for money. By God, do not do this for money. It's difficult. I've sold 40,000 books and I'm telling you, <laughs> don't do it for money. But I've definitely, what I, I would do a fictional series and that gives you a lot of things you can do. You can give away the first book in your series and get people to like your characters, or you could sell it for 99 cents and you could do a, a lot of promotions. And I also, you know, this is, this is probably completely wrong, but because, first of all, I'm no expert. I've, I've written one book in my entire life, one, one nonfiction book. You're no expert. You've only sold more books than 99.999% of authors. Well, I've, I've only done one. <laughs> and I can tell you that I, I, I think that writing a nonfiction book is so much harder than writing a fictional book, because first of all, you're going to wind up spending six months or two years, just doing the research to be accurate in your book, even if it's about your own life. So that's going to take a lot of time. And then you, you can't just make stuff up. You can't just get creative and start banging out, you know, 10 pages a day freelancing. It's got to follow a very narrow script and time zone. So, but in writing fiction, if you're just creating, then, you know, you, I think you could, you could bang out a lot more pages and you could do a lot more books. And I definitely think the only way to make money, only way to make money as a public, as a author would be to have a, have a series of books that you're always promoting. No question. hundred percent. And then that backlist just generates steady, steady income. Okay. Last question back to genre choice. And again, Publisher Rocket is a great tool to help select which genres, which categories to be in. So let's say someone's writing travel memoir about Namibia, very small interest built in audience for that. Would you recommend trying to identify uh, a more popular genre that you could, in, in a truthful way, in, in an accurate way, link your book to? Or would you say, just don't write it? If you told me, oh, I would tell you, well, you have to ask yourself why you're writing. Are you writing it to sell books? You're writing it to get it shared or you're writing it for, you know, do you want to share your, your children and your two neighbors? I would write, I would market that book. I would never talk about Nibia. I would talk about Africa, but more importantly, I would talk about overseas travel. And then I would try to somehow tie in Anthony Bourdain or some famous guy who has the well-known genre. And I'd say. I want anybody who's thinking of buying an Anthony Bourdain travel book to look at my book. I would say, and I would go, how did, how does he do it? Where do they advertise? What, what are their keywords? What are, what's the imagery that they want is that's what I'd want to capture. Yeah. If you get too narrow, you're not going to, you have no chance to sell, but travel, that's a good, that's a really good comparison, Ben, and that you had a travel book about a small place, don't make it about the small place, make it about the grand experience of, of travel to far away, dangerous, unique place. And for the audience, Mark has a fantastic website with an unbelievably kick-ass book trailer for his book, which in the first episode we did, he strongly recommended doing a book trailer. I took that advice. So I can't encourage you strongly enough to go to Mark's website, which is 
markpaulauthor.com. And he also has a couple of blog entries that he's put together talking more in depth about all these topics. And all our podcasts, my podcasts are there, including all the ones that are done with you. And you do a great, a great job, Ben. And by the way, fantastic. Book too. I really enjoyed your book a lot. Thank, thank you very much. Oh, and so you mentioned your book at the top. Uh, for the audience out there, you know, you placed this incredible bet with, ended up being a cartel in Tijuana. Did you collect them? Well, everybody thinks that my book, because it's about this, a Philly trying to, a true story. It's a true story about a Philly trying to win the Kentucky Derby. They think that in, in uh, I'll let, uh, I will tell you part of the ending is that she actually is successful and she actually wins the Kentucky Derby, but that's not when the book ends. In many ways, that's when the book starts because now these guys are faced with, can they get into Tijuana and can they collect their prize without getting killed? And no, I'm not going to tell you that you have to read the book. Yeah. I love it. And that was the advice all fair Mark gave to me about don't tell people the ending, right? They got to buy the book. So don't give away. Like, yeah. I make, yeah. Yep. You worked hard on it. I worked hard on mine yeah. so people can, can buy it. And Mark's, Mark's book, we were talking off air and, and came up with this sort of description of it. It's sort of a combination heist story, right? So now you got all this money in Tijuana. Oh, she's so bad late. guys. How do you get it out? And it's a, a buddy. Buddy, this buddy cop movie got it with, yeah, with combined with heights eleven, yeah, with thrown a little bit of the uh, uh, Me Too movement with the girls kicking ass on the boys. And as listeners may know, I'm now out in Los Angeles, and Mark lives in Beverly Hills. So, Mark, I will see you Thursday for dinner. Thank you so much for for coming on. Great, great talk. Okay, thank you. So that was my interview with author Mark Paul. Now, here are clips from my first interview with Mark that I did last year. Here we talk about the importance of an author website, making a trailer for your book, like a movie trailer, but it's a book trailer. And we do a deep dive into using Amazon AdWords. Be interesting to other people. And it doesn't matter how well edited it is or how great the cover is, if it's a boring topic that people don't care about, you're in trouble. One of the Things I've been very fortunate with my book on is that my book was actually number one in 10 Amazon categories. And one thing I learned about categories of books that's hugely important. In other words, I'm number one in horse racing almost always for two years. Number one in sports gambling, number one in gambling. Those are great and I'm very proud to be number one in there. But typically, like I just checked today, I always check this, my egos of all. I just checked today after two years, I just checked I'm, today I'm number two or number three in uh, biographies of true crime, white color crime and organized. And the funny thing is like, I could sell, if I was number 10 in organized crime, I would sell five times more books than I would be number one in horse racing, number one in sports gambling, and number one in gamble, because not a lot of gamblers and horse racing people buy books. But people are searching for true crime books all day long. So one of the things that we'll talk about with AdWords and the like is what really helped my book. You know, why did I sell so many books? I sold 10,000 books in the first six, 90 days. And right now I've sold about 35,000. The reason, which is not like James Patterson or some of the big author, but for self-published authors, very good, is that I, I'm like, I'm like a country music 
zone, it crosses over onto the pop charts. Okay. And you could sell a lot more songs on the pop charts than just the country charts alone. So that's a really big thing is, is if you write a book, try to figure out how not to market it just in one genre, try to market it in many, many genres, but specifically, gosh, darn it, figure out how to sell it in categories that people are looking for, because you could have the greatest book in the world, but you know, if it's, if it's about some obscure topic, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to find you because nobody's looking for you. Right. I think that's so key. And maybe we can talk about um, keyword selection, Amazon keyword selection in, in a second. And, and one of the benefits of all of what you just described happening is that, of course, as you know, the Amazon algorithm kicks in and starts recommending the book to to like buyers. What what so young you said young authors when you're talking to them and you give advice, what are some of the pieces of advice you find yourself telling multiple people? Definitely have hire a professional. Having a great cover is super important. Having a great title is important. I I had a title that I liked much more than the title that I used. I I liked in horse racing, the Kentucky Derby was referred to as the greatest two minutes. And initially my book was titled The Greatest Two Minutes. I love that title. But it doesn't do anything. Now my title is almost confrontational in your face. The greatest gambling story ever told. All the gamblers go, No, it's not. That can't be. I know a better story. My my cousin Jimmy. Well, when I now they know about it, we're talking about, right? So, you know, title's important, a cover is important. And then really, I would say, looking at lots of different categories, you mentioned Amazon, which is the dominant place I probably have sold 92% of all my books solely on Amazon, even though I published wide, I'm, I'm on, you know, Barnes and Noble, Noble, and I'm on Apple Books. The thing is that on Amazon, you can spend money and you can market and you can, you can affect your sale. I don't know how to affect and change my sale on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. I'm kind of at, at their mercy. And Amazon, you can spend money and get results. So one thing I learned at Amazon early is that when you self-publish your book, they tell you, you can be in three categories. So you could be history, you could be American history, history of the civil war. But what they don't tell you is that you actually can be in 10 categories. All you have to do is ask. And if you email them, you go to the chat rooms or just, so you need to go research really, really carefully all those specific categories. And what I, one of the things that I, that I learned right away, I, I would try with those 10 categories is try to pick two or three categories that you can hopefully dominate or be number one in, and then try to choose other categories that are maybe much more competitive, like true crime and true crime, or I have to compete with Bill O'Reilly. Okay. You know, I have to compete with these really big, well-known authors, but by being next to Bill O'Reilly, I sell a lot more books. So I would say like, like pick it, pick an easy category. Like to me, there's a category called track betting. Well, it's like probably, you know, two books published every 10 years in track betting. So how can I not be number one in track betting? What I go to do are my AdWords and pay for AdWords. I make sure I just outbid everybody because you know what happens by being number one in this dinky little category, I get to have that really cool number one orange banner on Amazon. 
this number one bestseller. It is. And, you know, maybe you're in a category like gay dinosaurs or something. It's not a lot of competition, but, you know, figure it out, you know, and then, and then find some categories or a lot of books that sold. I tell you, I, I don't get any money for the book. I'm associated with going to uh, publish, Publishers Rocket is a really great tool to be on. They have you for next to nothing. You can go on in. They'll give you all the categories. And in, when you click on it, they'll give you the categories and the keywords, and they'll tell you how many each of those books that are in the top categories, how many they're selling, how many ebooks are selling, how many published, you know, paperback books, hardcover books they're selling. And really look at those categories. That's huge. Yeah, 100%. I, I use that tool all the time. You do. Because it, it helps you know your competition. Exactly. Yeah. Also, make sure. Make sure that you also do your book in hardcover, in paperback, not just in an ebook. Okay. One of the things just... that, that I learned early is like I would, like when I first started advertising on Amazon, you know, keywords, they, they tell you, okay, you should be, you're getting about a 70% commission split. So if you sell a book for $10, you're going to keep about seven and Amazon's going to get about three. Well, that's true, but that's also minus your ad costs. So they tell you, you know, you really, you're, you're, they call it ACOs, the average cost of sale, how much you're, you're paying for your ads versus how much, I mean, sales you're getting that number, you shouldn't be spending more than 70% of your ACOs, your average cost of sale, where you're losing, you're advertising, you're selling books, but you're losing money. Well, first of all, like I told you, I don't mind in the little categories. I don't mind this one. It's by God, we work so hard, at least come out with a couple of these cute little Amazon banners, you can, you know, you can cut and paste, do a, you know, a, a paint version, you know, and save that image and you'll have it for all time and put it up in your wall and you can say I was an Amazon. So definitely, you know, don't be afraid to dominate it with little categories. But one thing that I learned is I would say, sometimes I would go like, oh, my eight goes with 83 cents. I would go, oh, that's shitty. I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm getting my ass kicked here. I'm spending more money than I'm receiving in my commissions. But then about four months later, I got my first commission for my paperback sale. And then it dawned on me, because one thing that is really shocking to me in this world of, you know, Wi-Fi and internet and online and Kindle readers and everything, I still sell about two thirds of my book are print. People go ahead and buy my book for $15 instead of $8 because the hard, the, the paperback's $15 and the hard, and the ebook is $8, but I still sold two times as many paperbacks. So what I'm saying is that if I wound up spending 83 cents to get a 70 cent sale, I wasn't doing any money. I was also getting my paperback sales out of that number. I started right. realizing that maybe I can actually be spending a hundred cents. I could be losing money in my ebooks as long as I'm selling a ton of print books. I'm making money, so that's okay. I also did a. I also did a um, audiobook. Yeah, talk to us about that. I I really enjoyed doing my audiobook. I didn't. First of all, I wouldn't. I would not recommend being your own narrator unless you're exceptional. I'm pretty comfortable at public speaking. I never shut up. I'm always talking, but it doesn't mean I'm a good narrator. Um, the, the narrator that I had well down is really fantastic. So I would do that. It's really enjoyable. I don't know. I've made money at it, but I probably three, four, five percent of my books have been audiobooks. 
but it was really enjoyable. I, I tell you what, one thing that I would really urge everybody to do it when I, when I die and go to my maker and I go, what are, you know, what are, what are your five proudest moments? You know, I'll tell them that marrying my great wife and having my two sons, but in the top five will be the book trailer that I did. I did my own book trailer. It's on my website or paulauthor.com. That book trailer is 58 seconds long and it's had 38, excuse me, it's had over 300, 310,000 downloads. You can imagine 300,000 downloads. And that was a really good way for me to sell my book. And I really enjoyed doing that. What I did is I don't have any video on it. I, I just, I used all still photos, photos that I purchased combined with some stock video footage, a little bit of stock video footage that I, that I was able to purchase from Shutterstock or one of those places. And then I did do my own narration and I went to a sound studio and I paid, it wasn't that expensive. I think I paid about $180 for the hour in the sound and they recorded, they recorded that and spliced it together for me. But that's, I really think having a book trailer in today's visual world, particularly for young people is really valuable. I, I was out at a cocktail party getting, I ran into a big movie for person, right? I was telling them about my book, but, you know, they were fading the interest. And I said, Hey, do you have 57 seconds? And I just took on my cell phone and I put on my download, I showed them my book and within a minute, they were like, oh, you have to see this, bring other people over. And I emailed them my ebook and they're reading it right now. People that are not interested visually, if they can see that, that, uh, that link, I would definitely do a book trail. Ah, that's such great advice. I'm, I'm just making a list here, Mark, yeah. of, of, of the gems that you're dropping. So just keeping track book trailer. What well, author website, you've got to have a good author website. It yeah. has to be there. It wants to be something of interest. Talk to me about that, please. Oh, I just, you know, I just, again, I hired a company that does, I used author bites. I don't get any promotion from them. I was very happy with them. They, I like going to one of these companies that's, it's already done, you know, 800 author websites. So, you know, they, they know what they're doing and then you can go on and steal all the best. You know, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Just go look at the, go look at the you know, the five author websites that you think fit your book the best and go copy what they're doing. I probably spent, I don't know, $1,000 on my website. wasn't, wasn't horribly expensive, maybe a little yeah. more. It, imagery is really important. Having some good pictures and visuals that you can market with are important. So, you know, my book has a lot of different genres in it. I think that's one of the reasons it was successful. Yes, it's about sports. Yes, it's about a race horse and keep on race. And that helped me. Because women buy two thirds of all books and women don't buy books typically about sports gambling, but they do buy books about horses. So I found, I found places like there's horse lover websites and I would publish my book and, and promote it and pay to be on the horse lovers websites. So, you know, everybody else has got a romance novel, you know, about a woman being swept off her feet by a handsome young rodeo star. And there's my book next to it, but it's different. I sell books there. And then I sell books in, in gambling and, but I sell more books in true crime because the gamblers had to try to correct it from a cartel. So again, every book is different, but if you can get knowledge and spread it out and try to be a crossover hit, 
you'd have a lot better chance of selling than just being, you know, just one, just one book or one narrow channel. Of all the different things you've done to market your book, what's had the greatest ROI? Amazon AdWords. That's by far, that was the game changer for me. Authors are very analytical and we're the kind of people that when we buy a car, we'll actually read the, the owner's manual before we drive the car. When I was writing to watch my book, I probably spent 30 hours every week for the first month looking at Amazon AdWords really studying it, trying to understand it. There's a, there's another, uh, you probably know it. There's another service called, um, uh, Kindlepreneur. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Kindlepreneur is phenomenal. And one of the things that I realized when I would look at the book descriptions, book descriptions are really important. You have like five seconds to grab people. So when you're going to write your book description and you're going to get your book reviews up there, a couple of really important pieces of advice. One, it's more important who gives you the review than what the review is. So try to get, because I know like me, when I'm reading a review, I don't really care whether it's a glowing review that was written by the guy's mother, right? But if I can see the review that is written by some name, you know, maybe written by the, somebody from the LA Times or, you know, even some some thing that has some credibility with me, that's really important. So I'm an online author. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any reviews, you know, critical reviews. I didn't have Laura Goldenbrand who would see this be giving me a review. So I said, what the hell can I do to get names up there? Well, I live in Beverly Hills. There's a lot of movie people here. And I got all my movie friends. You know, some of my friends had, you know, Rick had been involved with maybe they were the cinematographer for a big movie. Maybe they were a publisher. So I could write, uh, you know, cinematographer for Lone Survivor. And then I would put Lone Survivor in bold, but now people go, oh yeah, look at this. The, the guy that, the guy that was above Lone Survivor likes this. And then over time I would get, eventually I started getting more reviews. Like I, I did get a, 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 a well at times. And of course that feature in my now at times with that up. So the other thing with Kindle Premier is that when you go online and you look at book descriptions or look at books that don't sell and look at like with James Patterson or, you know, these top, top selling authors do, I noticed something, uh, drop off over here is the better off, the bigger are selling authors, their copy, it has a lot of white space, but it also has bold. It has a tally, it has quotation marks. It, it isn't just a bunch of uniform, you know, two paragraphs and tightly spaced information that nobody's going to take the time to read. And the way that you have to do that is this free tool called in Kindlepreneur. You write what you want it to write, and it has to convert it to this unique code that Amazon uses, and it just, you print what you want and you drop it into this online tool, Kindlepreneur, and then it publishes it the way you want it to be. It's really important. If you look at my copy in the greatest gambling story ever told, it will, you know, it, it lays out in full. It shows that I have the LA Times is reviewing it. I have people that they might recognize that wrote reviews. You know, people are scanning, they're, they're probably, you know, having a glass of wine and they're on their, you know, iPad. 
they're not reading every detail word and making a decision. Do I want to spend $7 on this book and, you know, make it really attractive. That's super important. And your copy needs to be, needs to grab them. Don't tell them about some esoteric thing. Tell them about why this is exciting and why they're going to want to read it. Like, like my, one of the titles that I, one of the taglines that I use a lot is, would you bet your life on a 50 to one shot? That gets people to read something that's a book, something that grabs them. And the other thing is you can see it always be marketing. I swear to you, then I go out, I sell books when I'm in the elevator. I, I love my book. I, I, I've read, I found out how to, how to make it really, really exciting where people want to buy it. And I'm, I'm always selling books. I can sell, I can sell books that are picnic. And one of the things that I do uh, on my website, I do get people that contact me. I, I read, I go back to everybody who talks to me mm. and I have a kind of a, a, kind of an epilogue that I have in there, but in my epilogue, you know, I tell everything I have highlighted in yellow is please leave a review. And I have the link so they, cause they don't know how to leave it. They don't know what to do. And you just, I give them a link and my friends that I wanted to post a review, I send them a link and I email them and I, please give me a review. It's so, I got do not publish your book until you have at least 10 reviews. Yeah. I've seen that advice over and over again, even to the extent that some people say, if you're writing a fiction series and you think you have something, write the first two or three books before you publish the first one, just so that they're lined up ready to totally. go. You mentioned Amazon AdWords. That's, and I've heard advice about that, but I haven't yet started with Amazon AdWords. Could you talk to me about that process and what you've learned? And you yeah, yeah, you, you can go to um, KDP. KDP. Yeah, KDP Select or whatever it is. You, you just go to KDP and you, you, up, you can upload your book. Although I really would encourage you to hire a publisher, a paid publisher, who will do all the things that you need to do, put it in the right formats and will publish properly. They do all of that for you. Although you certainly can do it yourself. If you, you're on a limited budget, I would, I would not publish my book because I couldn't afford to pay somebody to do these services. I have fortunately could pay somebody to make sure it was all really, really done and formatted properly. I elected to publish wide in retrospect. I don't think I'd bother. I think I'd just go on Amazon. You know, I could, you can't fight them. They're just too big and powerful and you're going to sell majority of your books there anyway. And then they have, you know, how you can do campaigns and they break down the, I haven't been doing this as accurately as I was two years ago. They have different, you can do, you can, I did multiple, 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 multiple campaigns and I came up with about 600 AdWords that I could market my books. And that might seem crazy, but again, that publisher rock really helped me because what I would do is I would look at, okay, in the 10 categories that I'm competing, what are the 10 books that are in those categories? And then I would see, I would click on their books and publisher rocket would tell me what the most popular keywords are in those categories. So I would go. I, I sell books in true crime. What are the most popular keywords for true crime? And I would put together a list of all of those. And then I would go, all right, I sell books in the horse race. What are the keywords in the horse race? What are the keywords, you know, all these different categories. And then I would do separate campaigns. Like I would do a, I would start a campaign just for horse racing. I would start a campaign just for 
gambling. I would start a, you know, where else I sell books mm. and I sell books in the history of sports. Mm. And there's some big books in there. Like there's a book called boys in the boat, which is a really good book, but the, but the Olympic world. And I would study, I would study that book and I would see what the keywords that they use in order to sell books. So I would come up with this really broad suck. The other thing that they do that's really good in publisher rocket is they'll, they'll print this out for you. And it's like $50 a year. So I don't know how they do that. They'll tell you all of the books that are the top sellers in those books and those books, authors become keywords. So in other words, I said, all right, my book, the number one book all time, maybe in horse racing is Seabiscuit. So I advertise Seabiscuit in all my AdWords. I advertise Laura Hillenbrand. The author, if somebody's searching for Laura Hillenbrand, they're going to see my book come up. If somebody's searching boys in the boat, they're going to search, they're going to see my book come up. And so I had a really, I really did a lot of keywords, a lot of advertising. And I, there's a saying, I, it's not my quote. I don't think it worked as well, but he says, I didn't, when, when I was first starting to market and advertise, there's a saying, he says, I didn't think. I experiment. And that's kind of what I did. I didn't know what would work. So I just did it all, but I wasn't afraid to spend money either. And I mean, I know that I had an advantage there that I could, I could spend money. And if I lost five grand, I could, that was okay. With. Turns out I didn't, I made money, but that's because I was willing to spend money. The other things that they do is they have these campaigns that are basically like autofill campaigns where Amazon will go out. And choose the keywords for you. I'm not online right now. I don't exactly what they're called, but you can't miss them. And I can tell you that those Amazon auto campaigns that they do, where Amazon chooses the words, are far better than anything you could do on your own. So if you said, I'm not techie, I, I don't want to come up with 600 ad words, I don't want to spend 30 hours a week, fine. Then just Go with their auto campaigns, monitor, but you need to monitor them every single day. I don't, I don't need to monitor them every day now after two years, but when you first start, I would monitor them twice a day because I would see a campaign that's selling, maybe I'm spending money, I'm, sp I'm spending, you know, $200 a day on that campaign, but if I'm bringing in, you know, Especially if I was spending $200 a day in that campaign, I was bringing in $150 of revenue. I was okay with that in the first month. I didn't care if I lost money. I wanted to see what worked. I figure out how to fine tune it and I, and I've done that. So now after like a month or two, I can pare down what doesn't work and spend more of my money on what does work. But you got, it's an author. You cannot sit in your room. And wait for the world to find you. The world doesn't work that way. You have to put yourself out there and, and you have to spend, and unfortunately you have to spend money, right? I really believe you really do have to spend money in order to let people know that you're there. I mean, there, there are 8 million eBooks on Amazon Kindle on the Kindle store. So yeah. And I have, when I was at the top, when I was selling the most books that, you know, like some months, let's say I was selling 5,000 books a month. I was probably 5,000 best seller on Amazon. That means that 
I never got to be in the top hundred on Amazon or the top thousand on Amazon, but I was still selling 5,000 books a month. So, you know, it, it's a big role. If you extrapolate from 8 million books on the Amazon Kindle store, what, you're at 1% of, of sales. What's great about the Amazon AdWords, I will say this for is that if people are on Amazon Kindle and they're searching for books, they're going to buy a book. Right. Morty, you don't have, like, if you go out and do an ad, like, on YouTube, the chances of the person on YouTube that actually reads books is maybe more than 100, right? But if they're on the Amazon Kindle searching for books, they're going to buy a damn book. All you have to do is convince them to buy your book. That's exactly. a lot easier to sell. A lot easier to sell. Let's end with, I had a question. Oh, so would, do you think it's a better use of time and money to do the auto Amazon AdWord campaign or to fine tune your own keywords? If you can only do one, the auto is absolute. Uh, they, I don't know how they do it. They are better at it. I can say now I do, I spend a lot more time with the auto campaigns than I did before because I learned how good they are. Mm -hmm. But I also think that I, I can't give you the analytical backup for this, but I think that the fact that I was out there and I had, I was doing lots of campaigns, I think also helped my auto campaign. I think that, I think that the computer algorithm saw this guy is spending money. People are clicking his links to find books and you need to, you need to go up into that food chain where they think they have something to sell. Mm. Yeah. I also, I did something now. I just went on to Kindle Unlimited. I didn't, I resisted it for 18 months, but now after 18 months or so, my book being on the charts, I've noticed that my sales are, are, they're still good. I, I, I sell about. Like well, I was selling, the things were really good. I sell like 5,000 books a month. Now I'm selling about 700 and I don't like that. I go, how, how, what do I got to do? So I started doing, I noticed a lot of the top selling books are in Kindle Unlimited. So I, I did that and there's a, there's, I've only been doing that for four days. So I don't know what I'm doing there. Either. There's a certain joy to that. I, but I like it when I click on it. Like I clicked out this morning and I saw that I'd had like already I'd had, I forget I, like uh, the page reads, we had 2,000 page reads today. Yeah. I thought, well, my book is 200 pages long, 10 people have read my book, and as an author, isn't that really what it's about? I mean, if, if I could have done all of this and, and lost money, a little bit of money, it still would have been one of the greatest joys of anything I've ever done in my life. It's fine. And so, going on this morning and saying, wow. 10 people, because I could see the page views and read my book. That's, that was a bit, and I made my, you know, made my day. That's cool. It's not just about money. Yeah. I think that if you, if you do things not for money, but for passion, you probably make money. It'll come through. And now last but not least, here are excerpts from the very first interview I did with Greg Larson way back in August of last year and the best marketing advice that he had. We talk about creating an ecosystem around your book, creating a website, a YouTube page, etc. Mark, uh, Greg goes into detail with all of that. We also talk about finding your pilot author and following the same path that your pilot author followed. Tons of great advice in this. Enjoy. Greg, thanks so much for coming on. Let's start with book promotion. 
And maybe we can start with your website. The website is fantastic. It, let me make sure I have the, the right address to send everybody to it's clubbybook.com. So that's C L U B B I E book.com. Yes, sir. Can you talk about putting the site together and your thoughts with book promotion. Yeah. As far as putting the sites, I'd actually asked a lot of authors about their advice on creating a website. A lot of people say, oh, it's not necessary. Hire somebody else to do that. I have just enough experience with say web design or SEO marketing, all that kind of stuff to be, to be dangerous enough. As far as like book promotions go and creating the website, my only thought process with creating a website was for people who had a good time reading the book, I want to give them extra content to enjoy for free as much as possible. So that's the way it's designed. It's for you read the book and you show up and there's a bunch of like behind the scenes pictures and old videos from the years of being a clubhouse attendant in 2012, 2013. And as far as promos in general go, I mean, I take every single opportunity that comes my way. I created my own podcast. I chop up into clips on my YouTube channel. My thought was I need to create as much content as I possibly can around this book. And that's the only way people are going to find it. Otherwise, a lot of people just put a book out and they expect the world to just find it and make it great. Sorry, like it's not art. Art is not a pure meritocracy. It is meritocracy plus marketing. 100%. One of the best nonfiction books written in the past 30 years or so is Freakonomics. And I was yeah. listening to an interview with one of the co-authors, um, Stephen Levitt, and he was saying because of Freakonomics, he gets sent books all the time to blurb. And he thought at first it was, there was, there was going to be a lot of mediocre books and not well-written books. And he's like, there are so many great books out there and they're just undiscovered because there's so much material in the market. Oh yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, there are millions of books published on self-published on Amazon every single year. And what is it that separates a book that's, that's never discovered that nobody reads and a book that a bunch of people read that enters the, the canon or the zeitgeist, a lot of it is marketing and quality. It's off. I don't know. Nobody wants to hear that. When I was in school, I would have preferred not to hear that. My professors would have told me that that's not true, but here we are. Okay. What's the lowest level media outlet that I can get attention from? And maybe it's a local news station. Boom. I take that local KUT Austin. Austin's NPR station gives me some attention. And then I use that to leverage into a pitch to CBS Sports Radio. And I use that to leverage into a pitch to the LA Times. And then it's just like, boom, 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 climbing up the ladder. And to be perfectly frank, not all of them directly correlate to book sales. I can usually see a jump whenever something new comes out. But what it does create is this perception of, of being everywhere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where it, it's, I have to think about it as a branding effort. It was a piece of art that I created in my book, Clubby. But once it became published, it went from being an artistic endeavor to a business. And that's how I had to think about it. So now I'm thinking about what's my brand strategy. And my brand strategy is make sure every person who enjoys baseball books finds out about my book. So here's the million dollar question based on what you just said. What yeah. does correlate? What I've found, especially in the last year, has been doing podcasts has the most concentrated book sales I've seen have been doing podcasts and oddly enough, radio shows, which I never would have expected. It's one of those People expect that to be a dying medium, and maybe in some ways it is, but a lot of people still listen to the radio in their car. So for example, I was on The Fan in Baltimore. My book takes place in Baltimore. After I did that show, it's a you know 15-minute spot. 
the next day I saw my sales jump up. I don't know exact numbers. I can just see like the Amazon sales rank, but it jumped up several tens of thousands of spots on the Amazon sales rank, which shocked me because everybody says radio is dead. As far as book promotions go, I don't think that's accurate. Podcasts are actually better because once this goes up on your website, it stays there. Radio is one and done unless I capture it somehow, which I try to do as well. That's another one. I try to record as many radio interviews as I possibly can and then put it on my YouTube channel. This is all great stuff. What is it about radio shows that bump up sales, do you think? Part of it, there's still this perception that because there's a higher barrier of entry, there's still this perception that radio is a, I don't know, a more classic medium that has more prestige as opposed to podcasts. There's still this perception of anybody can do it. Therefore, being on a podcast doesn't hold the same social status. Like that's going to change and that is changing, but there is something about it. It's analogous to traditional publishing versus self-publishing. Self-publishing is going to dominate traditional publishing, but those old mores are hard to fight. Again, TV versus YouTube. It's all the same exact sort of change layer. A lot of my readers are still stuck in some of the old mores of the past as far as media goes. And I'm going to use that to my advantage and get on the radio. And I don't know, it's not only old people. When I tell people that I was on CBS Sports Radio or ESPN Radio or something like that, it's still, there's a little ding that says like, oh, that's official. Right? So how do you get on radio programs? I send out pitchlet, pitch email. I try to send them out every single day. Today, I sent out two pitch emails wow. every weekday at the very least. So what I started with is I start with local stations and try to work my way up from there, like I said. But what I'll start with is I, I try to frame my book as part of a larger discussion. I don't say, I'm an author and you should promote my book. I, I say, here's what's going on in minor league baseball right now. There's a bunch of in income inequality issues in minor league baseball. There's contraction going on. And not only are those issues a microcosm of what's going on at the U.S. at, at large, but I'm the perfect person to talk about it because I wrote a book about minor league baseball that came out this summer. And I word that in a way that's, I don't know, more nimble than that. But then I include a couple of status markers, like for reference, here's my interview that I did on you know, MLB network, that kind of thing. And my success rate is a, if I get a 12% success rate in a week, that's good for me. So like sending out media pitch emails, I expect a huge rate of failure. And I think that's what keeps a lot of authors from doing it. This is also helpful because we talked earlier about how marketing is an important component of of the process. And I also think sometimes we mention this all fair as well. Authors, we can be so internal that we, we don't pay attention to that. And it's like such a closed world that being able to share this information is just so helpful. Oh yeah. Where I didn't even know who to pitch in the first place. And most people don't. What I did was it, it, it seems so obvious after I thought of it, but it was such a, a revelation to me. I found an author who had published a book similar to me the year before, and I just pitched every single media outlet that had covered his book. And then not only do I know who's interested in my work, but then I can actually use him as a launching point of saying, hey, I noticed that you covered Brad Belukshin last year. My book is very similar from the same publisher. Here's what it's about. That has been a godsend to me because a lot of authors don't even know who to reach out. Greg, that is so smart. So the pitch email... The structure is something along the lines of, okay, here's what's, here's some things that are happening in baseball. Here's how my book is connected to that. Here are some other 
interviews or media hits that I've done. Is that right? You want me to read you a pitch word for it. word? Would that be helpful for anybody? That would be fantastic. Okay. Here's a pitch that I just gave to NPR using my local NPR as a launching point. I say, hi, person. I'm Greg Larson, and I recently published a book with University of Nebraska Press that helped bring light to income inequality issues in minor league baseball. Some baseball fans know the facts and figures around these problems. And then I, I give a couple of facts about minor league baseball. But most people don't know what that world looks like on the inside and how it is a perfect microcosm of economic issues in America. With the changes taking place this summer and ramp rampant income inequality across the country, I believe this story helps highlight issues that plague the U.S. at large and would be a perfect fit for NPR programming. What do you think? And then I give them my cell phone number, and then I send them a link to a media kit where it's just a Google Drive that has pictures and has like blurb images that I created and a full PDF of the book. And then I say, also for reference, here's my recent interview in Austin's NPR station, KUT, best Greg Larson. That gives me a 10 to 15% success rate. So I think about it in terms of opening with personalization. Why am I contacting you? What have I seen of yours likes recently? Why is this issue important? How does my book fit into the conversation? Let's schedule a time. So let's go back to the website for a minute. Sure. What were the fundamentals of the website design for you? So I chose Squarespace, which is a software that I'm somewhat familiar with. It's just like plug and play. And I was just, as far as design goes, I created a logo with somebody on Fiverr, I think. And that cost me a couple bucks, maybe 15 bucks. And then I used that cheap logo to take it to a more expensive designer. Then I paid like 300 bucks to have them make a more professional looking one. And so have I seen a direct ROI on say that logo design that's all over the website? Probably not. But again, it just creates this whole aesthetic. Like I can put that logo on my newsletter. I can put that logo on every piece of media that I create, the website, blogs. I created a landing page. This has been incredibly useful. It's creating a landing page for my signed hardcover copies that people buy. I have, I just assume that whoever's hitting that landing page doesn't know anything about the book. And I created, just tried to create a little story with visuals, what the book is about, a couple of reviews of it, and then a, a link to buy. And that has been helpful for me to sell some copies because those copies, I make way more money on people buying directly from me than I do somebody buying from Amazon. Right. And then I have a blog that I just update every once in a while. There's like maybe six blogs on there. But oddly enough, one of my blogs that I wrote is the number one way that people come to my website, which I never would have expected. I mean, that was one lesson in there was that the things that I thought, the things I thought would land or connect with people are definitely not the things that actually connect with people. Like on my, it's perfectly analogous on the website. It was a blog post about what the best baseball jersey numbers are. That's the number one way people find my website. And with the book, people are really interested in the love story of like me with my girlfriend and the downfall of our relationship during this baseball, which I thought was like this unnecessary distraction from the main story. But it's one of the things that people ask me about the most. So website, and then you have a YouTube page that, that is dedicated to Clubby. The way I thought about the YouTube channel, first off, like I had a lot of hesitancy to even do a YouTube channel in the first place. I was like, or a podcast, a video podcast, as I was thinking of it. I thought, well, I don't have enough content around the book. I'm not going to have enough to say. Nobody's going to be interested in this. Like all of the standard, like self-defeating bullshit that I have before I start any creative endeavor. 
But what I found was I had a, a specific focus. As a clubhouse attendant, I learned a lot about baseball that most fans don't. Just obscure stuff like how to make a rosin bag, what pine tar smells like, all these little things. And I thought this YouTube channel is going to be dedicated to the most obscure baseball knowledge on the internet. Boom. I had a focus. And so each episode, I would talk for maybe 15, 20 minutes about a specific thing. Like, what's in an on-deck circle bag? Like, why do some baseball players sniff their bats? And there's like specific reasons behind it because the baseball comes off of the bat so fast that it creates this burning sensation on the, on the bat where they can actually smell the wood burning. And I'll just go deeper into, it's like behind the scenes and more detail into stuff that's covered in the book. And what I've found is that like, I don't have a ton of subscribers. There might be 30 subscribers. But what I've found is that that's, it's another one of those things. Hey, Penguin, what are you doing? Get out of there. She's not allowed in the bedroom and she just, the audacity. But what I found is like, it's another one of those like clout building things where people can see that I have a YouTube page and there's all these videos. Like, I don't know, there might be 50 videos up there and they might have a couple hundred views a piece. I don't think they're very high. But again, it's the perception and the ubiquity of like clubby is everywhere kind of feeling. That was the most, that has been the most valuable part. Of Just it, it being one part of the getting the word out or, or what's the most valuable part of it? Yes. The, the fact that they exist, like the, the fact that ecosystem, that's a hundred percent it podcasts, the videos, blog posts, anything like just get the word out there. Yes. Well, what, what was the date of publication? April 1st of this year. So let's say the month of April, how many hours a day are you putting into all of this promoting the book? Uh, well, it, it slowed down some, but like early, the first month of April, I mean, I was treating it like a part-time job. I would say it was between three and five hours a weekday in the month of April. Mm -hmm. And since then, I would say it's gone down to an hour to two hours every weekday. And now those one to two hours are either dedicated to doing an interview or sending pitch emails. That's the majority of it. And then on Fridays, I'll usually schedule a bunch of videos for the next week on TikTok and YouTube. Love it. What was the most helpful thing you did to promote the book pre-publication, pre-publishing? I concentrated a lot of my effort, how to put it, I think a lot of people, a lot of people shoot their cannons too early when it comes to pre-publication, where it creates this perception of, I'm going to start promoting my book. Well, sometimes they just don't promote it at all, but the people do promote it. They start too early and then it goes on too long and publication date hasn't hit yet. And then by the time the book comes out, the people in their atmosphere, whether it's friends, family, people on their Facebook, social media, they're fatigued. They're like, this book didn't already come out. I've been hearing about it for three months now. The most helpful thing I did was concentrate. I tried to concentrate everything to one month ahead of publication just to, well, what did that look like specifically? I maxed out all of my LinkedIn connections every single day of the week on the preceding months. And I focused entirely on people who were in my target audience. So people who worked, I would go to every single minor league and major league baseball team, go to their employees list and just add everybody until I, LinkedIn wouldn't let me add anymore. Boom. All of a sudden I have a social network completely filled with my potential readers. On Facebook, I had been apathetic about Facebook leading up to my book release for years, but I finally said, fuck it. Like I'm going to go and add in all of the people from high school, all the people from college that I've just been ignoring on there. And then again, do the same thing. Find people who looked like they were in my target audience. Like I, I went back through old rosters of the teams that I work for and added all of those guys. And then all of a sudden, Facebook's algorithm was kicking out people to me who were in my target audience doing that. So now the people in my atmosphere were people who 
were interested in me specifically or were interested in the content. And then when I was doing podcasts and posting about it, it's going out to people who might be likely to read the book. That made a huge difference. So let's take Facebook. So sure. now you've, you made these connections. Are you creating a group? Are you inviting people there? How often, let's say in the week, the seven days leading up to, to April 1st, how often are you posting about the book? How are you communicating it, et cetera? I didn't, I didn't create a specific group, but I was posting in other groups. I found a baseball mm -hmm. books group, for example, where I found Orioles groups for, I don't remember how many days leading up to the release. I had a countdown where I would create a meme of some kind that said seven days to release, six days to release and so forth. So people knew that there's some antici anticipation building, but I didn't start it so early that again, people got fatigued by it. And, and again, like, I, I just want to make an important point on that too. Like nobody is as, as an author, nobody is as familiar with your content as you are. Like, I think, oh, I'm, I'm posting about this too much. When people don't give a shit about something, they just ignore it. They really don't give a shit. But there is a certain aspect of momentum that is important leading up to a launch. But after a launch, it doesn't matter, dude. Throw that shit out there and people will ignore what's not relevant to them. So let's talk after launch. So after April 1st, what, what were the two or three most helpful things you did to, to market the book? Sending out, now I'm on a roughly 10 pitch emails a week pace. But at that point, I was obsessively pitching media outlets, podcasts, everybody I possibly could, that was by far the most helpful and continues to be the most helpful. I don't know if I would change any part of that. I think I would do all of that exactly the same. And if anything, I would put even more time into sending pitch emails. I found an author who published a similar book to me and I just tailed all of his media outlets. That was like an easy first step. If I were to do it differently, I would have done more research into that world and different podcasts that I could have been on outside of what he had done. I did an easy, I did an easy first step, which is fantastic, but I would have done more research there. Did you reach out to that author, by the way? Oh yeah, we're friends. Like he, he blurred my book. We text and stuff like okay. we're, we're, I always went into that relationship. Like I am only here to help him. And anytime I ask him for something, it's only after I've provided him 10 X value. So like, I never went into it. Like, what can I get from this guy? It was like, what can we do for each other? And what do we have in common? That's the way I thought about it. And it's made all the difference in the world. So that is your book marketing 101 class. I hope you enjoyed it. Found lots of helpful information. Mark's book is the greatest gambling story ever told. It is the best-selling horse betting book ever written. More than 40,000 copies sold. He also has a great audio book. So after listening to Mark's audiobook, I'm thinking about doing an audiobook for my book, which is Zen and the Art of Coaching Basketball, Memoir of a Namibian Odyssey, which you can buy on Amazon. And Greg's book is Clubby, also a memoir about his time working as a clubhouse attendant in minor league baseball. So I encourage you to support authors, support the two authors who have shared their knowledge on this podcast and buy all three of our books, Greatest Gambling Story Ever Told by Mark Paul, Zen and the Art of Coaching Basketball by Ben Guest, and Clubby by Greg Larson. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe to my newsletter, benbo.substack.com. That's B-E-N-B-O.substack.com. Thank you and have a great day.